Welcome to Reading to Kids podcast. I'm your host, Jenna. And I'm your host, Peyton. And we're here to read to you or with you. We know that sometimes moms and dads don't always have the time or the motivation to read to their kids each night, and we know how important it is. So, on those nights that you're not in the mood, we're going to do it for you. Can't wait to read with you. Good job, Peyton. High five. Oh, no, what? My ears are facing each other. Uh, That's fine. You know that's not really a thing, right? Oh, my God, buddy. (laughs) All right, ready? A series of unfortunate events. Book the fourth. The Miserable Mill. We're on the last chapter. And then we're on book five. Isn't that cool? And we're in the new house. And uh, and we're in the new house. Everybody's going to be like, you just moved. Okay, explain why we're in the new house. Because we have... So we have to remodel the new house because it's because we found out it was made in the 18,000s and we need to like you know remodel it and stuff. Well, so we're in our neighbor's house for now because he mm-hmm. had a heart attack and he wants to live with his mom for a little while yeah. anyways. So I'll clarify. So the house that we're living in, we bought a house, it's called a fixer upper, which means you have to totally remodel everything because that's kind of all we could afford, right? Mm-hmm. So when your house is being remodeled, you have to redo. Our house was born, was born. I keep saying born. Houses aren't born. We thought our house was built in 1912, but it turns out that it was built in the 1800s and we're trying to do research to figure out when. So what also that means is you have to completely redo all of the plumbing, all of the electric. So for quite some time, we are not even going to have electric or plumbing or anything like that in the house. So people can't live in a house like that. So our next door neighbor he's okay he had a heart attack and he is staying with his mother but he's I think he's probably just like nervous to be by himself because he's a single guy and so they rented their house out to us and it's literally right next door to our house so thankfully he's okay really conveniently they needed somebody to rent this and guess who rented it So we're in the new house. We're really hoping it's haunted, right? Mm-hmm. We're going to go pick up Trinity tomorrow night. Well, if we get there early enough, we'll get her tomorrow night. If not, we're going to get her the following morning. And we'll just play it by ear, huh? Mm-hmm. Cool. Okay. Also, I think I bit my tongue. It's itchy. Ah, oh, dang it. Okay. Chapter 13. Dreadful, 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 Sir said, shaking the cloud of smoke that covered his head. Dreadful, dreadful, dreadful. I quite agree, said, coughing into his handkerchief, Mr. Poe. When you called me this morning and described the situation, I thought that it was so dreadful that I canceled several important appointments and took the first available train to Paltryville. In order to handle this matter personally, we appreciate it very much, Charles said. Dreadful, 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 sir said again. The Baudelaire orphans sat together on the floor of Sir's office and looked up at the adults discussing the situation, wondering how in the world they could talk about it so calmly. The word dreadful, even when used three times in a row, did not seem like a dreadful enough word to describe everything that happened. Violet was still trembling from Klaus, from how Klaus had looked while hypnotized. Klaus was still shivering from how Charles had almost been sliced up. Sonny was still shaking from how she had almost been killed in the sword fight with Dr. Orwell. And, of course, 
the three orphans were still shuddering from how Dr. Orwell had met their her had met her demise and a phrase here which means stepped into the path of the sawing machine. The children felt as if they could barely speak at all, let alone participate in a conversation. It's unbelievable, Sir said, that Dr. Orwell was really a hypnotist and that she hypnotized Klaus in order to get a hold of the Baudelaire fortune. Luckily, Violet figured out how to unhypnotize her brother and he didn't cause any more accidents. It's unbelievable, Charles said. That foreman, Fluctuano, grabbed me in the middle of the night and tied me to that log in order to get a hold of the Baudelaire fortune. Luckily, Klaus un... Klaus invented something that shoved the log out of the path of the saw just in time, just in time, and I only have a small cut in my foot. It's unbelievable, said Mr. Poe, after a short cough, that Shirley was going to adopt the children or to get a, hol- get a hold of the Baudelaire fortune. Luckily, we realized her plan, and now she has to, has to go back to being a receptionist. At this and at this, Violet could keep, could keep quiet no longer. Shirley's not a receptionist, she cried. She's not even Shirley. She's Count Olaf. Now that, said Sir, is part of the story that is so unbelievable that I don't believe it. I met this young woman, and she still isn't at all like Count Olaf. She is... She has one eyebrow instead of true. That's true. Instead of two, that's true. But plenty of wonderful people have that characteristic. You must forgive the children, Mister Poe said. They tend to see Count Olaf everywhere. That is because he is everywhere. Klaus said bitterly. Well, Sir said he hasn't been here in Poultryville. We've been looking out for him. Remember? Ah, we'll leaf. Sunny cried. She meant something along the lines of, but he was in disguise as usual. Can we go see Shirley in person, Charles said timidly. The children do seem fairly surely of themselves. Perhaps if Mr. Poe would see this receptionist, we could clear up this matter. I put Shirley and Foreman Fluctuano in the library and asked Phil to keep an eye on them, said Sir. Charlie's library turns out to be useful at last as a substitute jail until we clear this matter up. The library was plenty useful, sir, Violet said. If I hadn't read about hypnosis and your in about hypnosis, your partner Charles would be dead. You certainly are a clever child, Charles said. Yes, sir agreed. You'll do wonderfully at boarding school. Boarding school? asked Mr. Poe. Oh, of course, sir nodded with his cloud of smoke. You don't think I would keep them you don't, you don't think I would keep them now, do you, after all the trouble they've caused in my lumber mill? But that wasn't our fault, Klaus cried. That does not matter, sir said. We made a deal, and the deal was that I would try to keep Count Olaf away, and you wouldn't cause any more accidents. You didn't keep your end of the deal. Heech, Sonny said, which meant... But you couldn't keep your end of the deal either, sir paid no attention. Well, let's go see this woman, said Mr. Poe, and we can settle this once and for all, whether or not Count Olaf was here. The three grown-ups nodded, and the three children followed them down the hallway to the library door, where Phil was sitting in a chair with his with a book in his hands. Hello, Phil, Violet said. How's your leg? Oh, it's getting better, he said, pointing to, this ca- to his cast. I've been guarding the door, sir, and neither Shirley nor Foreman Fluctuano have escaped. 
Oh, and by the way, I've been reading this book, The Poultryville Constitution, and I don't understand all the words, but it does sound like it's illegal to pay people only in coupons. We'll talk about that later, Sir said quickly. We need to see Shirley about something. Sir reached forward and opened the door to reveal Shirley and Foreman Fluctuano sitting quietly at two tables near the window. Shirley had Dr. Orwell's book in one hand and waved at the children in the other. Hello there, children, she called out in a phony high voice. I was so worried about you. So was I, Foreman Fluctuano said. Thank goodness I'm unhypnotized now, so I'm not going to treat you badly any longer. So you were hypnotized too, Sir asked. Of course we were, Shirley cried. She leaned down and patted the three children on the head. We never would have acted so dreadfully otherwise, not to three such wonderful, delicate children. Behind our false eyelashes, behind her false eyelashes, Shirley's shiny eyes gazed at the Baudelaire's as if she was going to eat them as soon as she got the opportunity. You see, Sir said to Mr. Poe, no wonder it was unbelievable that Foreman Fluctuano and Shirley acted so horribly. Of course she's not Count Olaf. Count who? Foreman Fluctuano asked. I've never heard of that man. Me either, said Shirley, but I'm only a receptionist. Perhaps you're not only a receptionist, sir said. Perhaps you're also a mother. What did you say, Mr. Poe? Shirley really wants to raise children and they're much too trouble. Then they're much too much trouble for me. No, Klaus cried. She's Count Olaf, not Shirley. Mr. Poe coughed into his white handkerchief at a great length, and the three Baudelaire's waited tensely for him to finish coughing and say something. Finally, he removed his handkerchief from his face and said to Shirley, I'm sorry to say this, ma'am, but the children are convinced that you are a man named Count Olaf, disguised as a receptionist. If you like, Shirley said, I can take you to Dr. Orwell's office, the late Dr. Orwell's office, and show you my nameplate. It clearly reads Shirley. I'm afraid that will not be sufficient, Mr. Poe said. Would you like to do all of the courtesy of showing us your left ankle? Why, it's not polite to look at a lady's legs, Shirley said. Surely you know that. If your left ankle does not have a tattoo of an eye on it, Mr. Poe said, then you are most certainly not Count Olaf. Shirley's eyes shone very, very bright, and she gave everyone in the room a big, toothy smile. And what if it does, she asked, hitched as, and hitched up her skirt slightly. What if it does have a tattoo of an eye on it? Everyone's eyes turned to Shirley's ankle, and one eye looked back at them. It resembled an eye-shaped building of Dr. Orwell's, which the Baudelaire orphans felt had, a ver had been watching them since the day they arrived in Paltryville. It resembled an eye on the cover of Dr. Orwell's book, which the Baudelaire orphans had felt it had been staring at them since they began working at Lucky Smell's lumber mill. And, of course, it looked exactly like the one on Count Olaf's of Count Olaf's tattoo, which is what it was, and which is which the Baudelaire orphans felt had been gazing at them since their parents had died. In that case, Mr. Poe said, after a pause, you are not Shirley, you are Count Olaf, and you are under arrest. I order you to take off that ridiculous disguise. Should I take off my ridiculous disguise as well? Dr. F Foreman Fluctuano asked as he tore off his white wig with a smooth motion. It did not surprise the children that he was bald, they had known his absurd hair was a wig from the moment they laid eyes on him, but 
There was something about that shape of his bald head that suddenly seemed familiar. Glaring at the orphans with his beady eyes, he grabbed his surgical mask from his face and removed that too. A long nose uncurled itself from where it had been pressed down to his face. The siblings saw in an instant that it was one of Count Olaf's assistants. It's the bald man, Violet cried, with the long nose, Klaus cried. Plimo, Sunny cried, which meant who works for Count Olaf. I guess we're lucky enough to capture two criminals today, Mr. Poe said sternly. Well, three if you include Dr. Orwell, Count Olaf said, and what a relief it is to call him that instead of Shirley, said not an enough nonsense, Mr. Poe said. You, Count Olaf, are under arrest for various murders and attempted murders and various frauds and attempted frauds and various despicable acts and attempted despicable acts. And you, my bald, long-nosed friend, are under arrest for helping him. Count Olaf shrugged, sending his wig topping to the f- wig toppling to the floor and smiled at the Baudelaire's in a way they were very sorry to recognize. It was a certain smile that Count Olaf had just when he looked like he was trapped. It was a smile that looked as if Count Olaf were telling a joke, and it was a smile accompanied by his eyes shining brightly and his evil brain working furiously. This book was certainly helpful to you, orphans, Count Olaf said, holding Dr. Orwell's advanced ocular science high in the air. And now it will help me. With all of this rotten, with all of his rotten might, Count Olaf turned and threw the heavy book through one of the library windows. With a crash and a tinkling of glass, the window shattered and left a big sized hole. The hole was just big enough for a person to jump through, which is exactly what the bald man did, wrinkling his nose at the children as if they smelled bad. Count Olaf laughed a horrible, rotten laugh and followed his comrade out the window and ran away from Poultryville. I'll be back for you, orphans, he cried. I'll be back for your lives. Egod, Mr. Poe said, using an expression here which means, oh, no, he's escaping. Sir stepped quickly to the window and peered out after Count Olaf and the bald man who were running as fast as their skinny legs could carry them. Don't come back here, sir yelled after them. The orphans won't be here, so don't return. What do you mean the orphans won't be here, Mr. Poe asked sternly. You made a deal and you didn't keep your end of it. Count Olaf was here after all. That doesn't matter, sir said, waving one of his hands dismissively. Whatever these Baudelaire, wherever these Baudelaire's go, misfortune follows, and I will have no more of it. But, sir, Charles said, they were such good children. I won't discuss it any more, sir said. My nameplate says the boss, and that's who I am. The boss has the last word, and the last word is this. The children are lo- no longer welcome at Lucky Smills. <sighs> Violet, Klaus, and Sunny looked at one another. The children are no longer welcome at Lucky Smells, of course, and that is, of course, is not the last word. Because it takes many words, and they know, of course, that when Sir said the last word, he didn't mean the last word, but the final option of the situation. But their experience at the lumber mill had been so very dreadful that they didn't care too much about leaving Poultryville. Even a boarding school sounded like it would be better than their days at Foreman Fluxuano, Dr. Orwell, and with the evil Shirley. I'm sorry to tell you that the orphans were wrong about boarding school being better, but the moment they knew nothing of the troubles ahead of them, 
only only of the troubles behind them and the troubles that had escaped the window. Can we please discuss this matter later, Violet asked, and call the police now. Maybe Count Olaf can be caught. Excellent idea, Violet, said Mr. Poe. Although, of course, he should have done that. He should have thought of that idea himself. Sir, please take me to your telephone so we can call the authorities. They hadn't even called the police yet. Oh, my goodness. Oh, all right, sir, said grumpily. But remember, this is my last word of the matter. Charles, make me, make me a milkshake. I am very thirsty. Yes, sir, Charles said and limped after his partner and Mr. Poe, who were already out of the library. Halfway down the door, however, he stopped and smiled apologetically at the Baudelaire's. I'm sorry, he said to them. I'm sorry that I won't be seeing you anymore. But I guess sir knows best. We're sorry too, the children said. Or we're sorry too, Charles, Klaus said. And I'm sorry that I caused you so much trouble. It wasn't your fault, Charles said kindly, as Phil limped behind him. What happened, Phil asked. I heard breaking glass. Count Olaf got away, Violet said. And her heart sank as she realized it was really true. Shirley really was Count Olaf in disguise, and he got away, just like he always does. Well, if you look on the bright side, you're really quite lucky, Phil said to the orphans, as he gave their fr- his friends an optimistic, curious look, and then looked curi- they looked curiously at one another. Once they had been happy children, so content and pleased with their lives that they hadn't even known how, they- how happy they were. They came... Then came the terrible fire, and it seemed since that day their lives had scarcely been one bright, had one bright moment, let alone an entire bright side. From home to home they traveled, encountering misery and wretchedness wherever they went, and now the man who caused such wretchedness had escaped once more. They certainly didn't feel very lucky. <sighs> what do you mean? Klaus asked quietly. Well, let me think, Phil said, and thought for a moment. In the background, the orphans could hear the dim sounds of Mr. Poe describing Count Olaf to somebody on the telephone. You're alive, Phil said finally. That's lucky, and I'm sure that we can think of something else. The three Baudelaire children looked at one another, and then at Charles, and then at Phil, and the only people in Paltryville who had been kind to them. Although they would not miss the dormitory, or the terrible casseroles, or the breaking labor of the mill, or orphans would miss... The orphans would miss two kind people. As the siblings thought about whom they would miss, they thought about how much they would they would have missed one another if something even worse would have happened to them. What if Sonny had lost the sword fight? What if Klaus had remained hypnotized forever? What if Violet stepped into the path of the saw instead of Dr. Orwell? The Baudelaire's looked in the, at the sunlight, pouring through the shattered window where Count Olaf had escaped, and shuddered to think what could have happened. Being alive had never seemed lucky before, but the children considered their terrible time in Sir's care. They were amazed how many peop- how many lucky things had actually happened to them. It was lucky, Violet admitted quietly, that Klaus invented something so quickly that he's and that he's not an inventor. It was lucky, Klaus admitted, that Violet figured out how to end my hypnosis, even though she's not a researcher. Corif, Sonny admitted, which meant something like, it was lucky that I could defend us from Dr. Orwell's sword, if I do say so myself. The children sighed and gave each other small, hopeful smiles. Count Olaf was on the loose, and, it would, and he would try again to snatch their fortune. 
but he had not succeeded this time. They were alive, and as they stood together at the broken window, it seemed that the last word in their situation might be lucky, the word that had caused so much trouble to begin with. The Baudelaire orphans were alive, and it seemed that maybe they had an inordinate amount of luck after all. The end. Oh my gosh, now it's time for book five. Yeah, yeah. Five, five, five. Oh, look. That's so funny. Look, he's banging pots. I didn't see he was in the background. Did you? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Cool. All right, guys. See you next time for book number five. Say bye. Bye.